You okay if we just get started? Sold. Let's do it. Now, the other thing, so as you know, I'm recording audio only. Only because I haven't figured it out yet. But it's nice to see the person you're talking to. I actually didn't know what my co-host looked like for a year because when I first started using it, it was audio only. And I'd only seen like a static picture of him. I'd assumed you guys I still were... haven't met the man in person. No. Really? I just assumed you yeah, guys were buddies one. from way back. Because you're funny together, you know? You kind of... You seem to know it's... each other pretty well. We've lucked into it, is what it is. You can ask about it if you like. Yeah, well, I My will. I certainly will now. Yeah. <laughs> Hi there. My name's Steve Joel. Welcome to the very first episode of Champions of 40K. This is me getting to know people who are champions of some part of our hobby. The people who go all in for something inside 40K. If you ever caught my other podcast, 40K Game Changers, this is kind of the same, but different. Although I do still love a good pre-roll. If you didn't catch Game Changers, every episode is at stevejoel40k.com, so go listen. Also, once you're done with this episode, please, if you like, share, review, that'd help. Go to Facebook and follow Steve Joel's World of 40K. Every extra person is a huge help in getting other people along to listen to the podcast. Be amazing. There is a story as to why I made the choice to have who I have as my very first guest for this series. But as you're about to hear, I kind of forget to tell it for way too long. Here we go with this week's episode. Uh, my guest this week is the well-known host of the Sister 8 podcast, the fourth-ranked Sisters player in the UK and top 15 in the world. He's an American in King Arthur's court, Mitch Beard. How are you, man? Hey, Steve. Nice to chat with you again. It's uh, excited to do the show with you. Well, uh, and thank you for the very kind intro. It made me sound much better at 40K than I probably well, am. Well, <laughs> I was listening to Sister 8, and uh, you had the UK's number one player, who I'm just mind-blanking on, uh, number one uh, sister's it player. It was James Shapiro, but right. he's been overcome now by Aiden Brocklehurst right. for his performance at LGT. So, so you it's had a hot race. You had James on, and then uh, generously you said you were some way below him. So I checked. You're fourth. That's pretty good. Like not the UK is a big place. You've got to be happy with that. I I'm not disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's better than you being first because then English people would just be angry that an American had come in and taken over. <laughs> that would be a Look, bad I've outcome. I've lived here for two years, but I'm all about trolling the English. That's fine. I'm still an American. We left 250 <laughs> years ago for a reason, right? Yeah. Living in the in the UK as an American, what's the hardest thing for you to get your head around? Is it is it the language when you put boots in the boot, or is it kippers for breakfast, or is it driving on the left, or where do you sit with all of this? So the hardest thing for me. Uh, a unique problem. My dad is British and grew up in the UK and only moved to America in his adult life. So half my family's British. So for me, this, I don't sound like it, but this is just coming home for me in a lot of ways. Right. So the hardest thing for me actually is because my childhood was so full of British and American accents. If you ask me after a conversation, was that person American or English? I actually don't always remember right. because like I have, like, unless I'm tracking it, I don't like hear it, which confuses people a right. great deal. Um, yeah. 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 Wow. Now, they're mostly English. I could guess that, but, you know, yeah, yeah. And I England, wouldn't know for sure. But England has also 4,000 different accents within a 10-mile radius, so it's kind of, you also know. Also true. Yeah, so that takes a bit of getting used to. Um, uh, all right, so how do English people react to the accent when they first meet you? Is it, like, exotic and interesting, or is it, uh American? Or do you get a kind of a range? Oh, no, it's, 
I, so I'm a software engineer by trade and training, but I'm currently doing a lot of sales activity, which is great because you want to be like different. Yeah. Just the fact that I open my mouth and like, ah, an American. It's fantastic. It's definitely an asset. You okay. pay attention. Yeah, so. yeah. I found that uh, it's with the this... same thing in reverse. Yes. Like in America, English people are thought of as smart. I'm not thought of as smart here, but I'm certainly like <laughs> different. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can tell you Americans, well, the ones that I've met in person when I went to the States, Americans, uh, and this applies certainly to the women that I met before I got married. Uh, that was my last trip to America just before I met my now wife. Women over there love the Kiwi accent. Like it's a thing. They yeah. just, as soon as you talk, they're like, oh my God, your accent. You're like, well, where I come from, <laughs> this is just normal. We all sound like me. <laughs> Tell me if this magical place, <laughs> Mr. Joel. So um, now this is random, but I was, does being Mitch Beard mean it's compulsory to have a beard? Or have you always been a bit ZZ Top? <laughs> you know, do you remember ZZ I, Top? All right. So, Steve, when I was young, so up until 2017, I was living in Iceland. That was my first winter in Iceland. Up until that moment, I had never tried growing real facial hair. And my entire <laughs> life long was, Mitch Beard, where's your beard? And then as soon as that happened, winter in Iceland, you get a little bit extra protection on your face. As soon as that happened, oh, Mitch Beard with the beard. I get it. There is literally no outs. There are no outs to that last name. <laughs> no, no, there aren't. This was why I bring up ZZ Top. Do you you know the band that I'm talking about? Yeah, there's two guys with mega beards and one guy just named Beard. There's so. one guy named Beard who didn't have a beard. And then the other two guys had mega yep. beards. And that's, yeah. This is supposed to be a 40K chat. So I guess we should swing around to that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but, we'll get there. Oh. What nerd level would you say you are uh, on a range from, at the top, full-blown D&D, Star Wars figurines at home, comic collector, play other nerd games, level 9,000, down to relatively normal, have a normal life, but happens to enjoy 40K? I reject your premise that there is a single axis for nerddom. I feel like <laughs> nerddom is a n-dimensional space upon which you measured on many axes, like... I'm a big board game nerd. I'm a mega big Warhammer nerd, but I like, I'm not really like into Star Wars or Star Trek or anime or like all those classes of nerddom. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Similarly, and people are always confused by that. You play, so I say to people, I play Warhammer 40,000. 40, and a lot of people will then go, oh, D&D, &D, and start talking to me about that. And I'm like, I, let me, I have never played D&D. Well, I have once. I tried it. It yeah. was fun, but I'm not going back to it. I enjoy the Star Wars movies, but I don't have any collectibles. I did used to collect comics. I was into Superman big time. But, mm. you know, I, so I agree with you. Right? You said yeah. it in a much more I've been to university way than I ever could. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then funnily enough, in rejecting Star Trek sounded more like a Star Trek nerd than anyone I've ever heard. But uh, just with your... Yeah, I've never been into Star Trek, actually. It's never been... Like, sure, I enjoyed Star Wars, but I've never been like, oh, a Star Trek movie. I'm going to go watch that because yeah, that's yeah. a thing yeah. that I care about. You explained it using the phrase N-dimensional axis, which is, you know, so your, uh, your cover is blown. Yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> My favorite thing is people be like, oh, Warhammer, like the, like the stores, like in town, like the Warhammer store. I'm like, yeah, that. They're like, do you like play it very much? I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> How deep yeah. you want to go with this? <laughs> yeah. That's I discovered early on in this hobby, and I've only been in it for a few years, but relatively early on. The biggest mistake someone could make in the early years was, was asking me about the game. 
and then an hour later we'd both I'd come out of this haze of conversation and go oh they weren't interested in that at all (laughs) why did they ask me if they didn't oh I see it was a conversation thing so now I go very similarly to you do you really want to have this conversation I'm happy to go deep but only if you're actually into it because this is going to get tiresome really quickly um, all right. So, so. ten thousand years ago, there was this guy named the emperor, but he's actually twenty thousand <laughs> years in the future, and he had these twenty kids. And oh, oh, oh no, 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 hold on, you're not one of them. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. Okay, so let's just keep it on a Henry Cavill level. I collect miniatures, I paint them, and I play war games against other people who do the same. Okay, and yep. you've walked away. Interesting. Cool. Um, so, what is it about sisters? Were they like right from the start? You were into sisters, or is this? Do you grew into sisters? So my sister story goes like this. I was like 14 and I walked into my game store in central New Jersey called The Only Game in Town, which is like actually at one point was a fairly famous store for magic, but never for Warhammer. Right. And I was like, wow, this looks so incredible. And I'd like seen kids play like the Space Marines and stuff at summer camp. I was like, I want to get in on this. And I found out by like being around the whole community that there were all these factions, you could pick them. And the one that I was drawn to was sisters because they're so cool. They're like bolter nuns in space, right? And then they're like, oh yeah, they never win. They're garbage. They're terrible. And I was like, go on. So like, (laughs) I just took the challenge of like, this is a terrible faction. No one plays, no one wins with. And I was like, I could not hear any any more sweet words than that. I'll buy a bunch of them, please. And I have like a ton of sisters, which, you know, were not expensive when I originally bought them all in pewter because a lot of stuff was pewter too at the time. Pewter? Weird. Really? So I've heard of metal and then you go, you go through the metal. People often, you know, people have been in the hobby and they're a lot longer than me, uh, talk about, oh, you've kids these days, you don't know how lucky you are with the plastic. It used to be metal and I had to paint that. And yeah. then the resin days, the terrible resin days, and now we're into plastic with occasional resin. I've, this, I've never heard anyone say pewter before. Is this an exclusively oh. sisters thing? Nah, it's just proxy for metal. It's like a like the metal's like a pewter mix, right? You can bend it with your hands. It's not that strong. Okay. That's all I bend. All right. Yeah, okay. we skipped the whole resin thing. We got like a few resin characters, but very smart. We went straight from metal to Celestine to Long Vigil to the box set in 2019. Right. So it's it's just occurred to me that I meant to start this episode with a little story and I didn't do it. So oh. I'm I'm going to backtrack and do it now, just so that you know. I mean, I could do it in the intro but then you might not ever hear it. So, uh, the whole so this new series of podcasts that I'm doing. Can we can we indulge me for a for a second in this very quick story? I mean, it is your show, man. Go for it. That's, I'd love to find out what I'm about to get into. It sounds great. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Screw you. It's my show. I'll do a story if I want to. Um yeah, so the whole reason for this show existing is because of Mitch Beard. So What? Uh, yeah. And this is why I wanted you to be episode 1. And you messed me around and put me off for a week. And I was like, well, now I've got to put everyone else off for a week as well because you've got to be episode one. I'll trash his dumb last name. It's fine. (laughs) So uh, a little while ago, I had a brief flirtation with co-hosting the Art of War podcast and um, with John Lennon. And we got you on as a guest to talk sisters because they must have been good for a little while there. And um, I know they're still pretty good, but they were really good. And so we got you on to talk about how good they were. And in the process of that, you know, me co-hosting that and uh, meeting you, I actually, in that moment, like when we were having that conversation, thought, God, I like this guy. I really would love to do a podcast with Mitch someday, somehow. 
And then I finished up the game changes and I was like, how can I get this guy Mitch on a podcast or do something with Mitch? And oh my gosh. and that led down the whole thought process of just loving people who champion a certain thing better faction in this case or whatever else it might be part of america place in the world whatever uh and so you started it all and i thought well because you started it and you were the the reason that i kind of went down this whole track in the first place you better be on episode one no pressure Uh I feel like you've just actually created a lot of pressure despite saying no pressure. I got to be on my best behavior now. Got to be witty, sharp. I don't feel <laughs> like there's in, there's ever a situation where someone says no pressure and actually means there is no pressure. That that, yeah. that yeah. phrase always means extra pressure. It's like when so someone says, "Hey, no offense, I hate Americans." There's no no way someone says no offense without saying then something offensive. You've that's kind of one follows the other. Anyway, I like how every region has their version of that. Like in the American South, it's bless her heart or bless his heart. And then you can say the most horrible thing imaginable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's fine. It's totally fine. We yeah. in, in New Zealand, we don't say no offense. We, we, the, the same bless his heart would be, I mean, he's fantastic, but <laughs> well, he's a lovely guy, <laughs> but, and then just whatever, yeah. slay the person, whatever you want. Okay. Back to sisters so you've been playing them for and i love that you you know when you get guests on your podcast you ask them how loyal they are they're loyalist kind of how long they've been playing sisters Uh, my only sisters well my several sisters it was the very first game i played against in my very first tournament with sisters and i got demolished and i've Uh continued to be demolished by sisters in all but one tournament game that i've ever played them so i have terrible associations with sisters um, Good. We'll start with some trauma and work from there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does the being if, like being the international face of sisters, the champion of sisters, does that mean oh you just God. can't play any other faction? Like you, you're not allowed to collect any other faction or talk about any other faction. I I deeply hate being called the international face <laughs> of sisters. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, I do feel like if that is going to be my like 40k brand that I should probably play it a bunch. Yeah. I, I have splashed knights in the past, but always like my knights are colored to match my sister's scheme. So it all yeah. kind of works. Yeah. Uh, but also like I still really enjoy the faction. Like I, uh, I can get better. I, I still make mistakes, right? I still make bad decisions. I still miscalculate. And like to me, I love just finding the optimization, like getting better, better, better at that one thing. I just, love getting as deep as i can so like i'm not done having fun yet right maybe i'll reassess if i'm if i get bored but not yet so well you're kind of tied into this whole sister eight podcast so you i hope you don't get bored too soon um but so i know you and you're competitive you're the fourth ranked player in the uk which we've mentioned you've you you play at a higher level you're a competitive guy but what about the the painting and the law side of sisters as well so i my favorite thing in 40k is to play uh at all competitive play is my favorite subclass of that but i'll happily play casually if you say play casually i will put as many emulators into my list as possible and just have a good time uh i have a bunch of stupid ready to go lists uh if if someone wants to play casually yeah um i i enjoy painting for the like calm at the end of the day hobby that's not a screen aspect but it's not like the thing which really draws me in uh so i would say it's probably Playing, lore, painting in that order. Because okay. the lore is just so good. There's not a lot of it, but my God, is it good for Sisters. It feels like there's, I mean, and then I haven't examined it too carefully, but then I'm a, a wolf's 
uh, Space Wolf and Knights player, right? So Space yeah. Wolf, there's like a mil- there's heaps, there's heaps of books oh, and yeah. lore and the but Knights there's there's nothing like there's a little bit in other stories so i see both sides of it feels like sisters has enough law though to keep you going or to keep you happy but are there are there sisters specific books that you can you can buy and get uh there is the james swallow series which are the first ones ever done don't ask me what they're called but the one of them was like sisters versus um sisters versus necrons uh and then and then the other one was like Sisters versus Psyker, where like this character is like going after Rogue Psyker and gets tied up in the Ecclesiarchy and all this stuff. Uh, so that was like the classic books. Right. And then there was a long time with no books. And then I think Games Workshop figured out the Sisters are awesome. They have like this incredible IP just sitting in a corner. And then they got Danny Ware to write a bunch of books and she did a series on Bloody Rose. They're all like tight little mini novels and they they like pack a punch. And then there's some other stuff in there too, like Mark of Faith and Celestine and there's a Stern books. So they've like added stuff uh, over the time. It's definitely like a ca- uh, a stable of authors who write sisters content now, which right. is obviously way cooler than James Wall did a book 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice. Not to, bad. It's not bad. It's nice to have some updated stuff, and it's nice to you know when they've when they've when you've actually got books and law you can read. Did you find I when I when I played Black Templars, I because uh, that was my very first army, Black Templar, and I read the uh, Armageddon series. And oh my God, that just when you read it, you go, oh yes, now I'm all inspired and enthused yeah. again, and I really want to do some more. And you know, uh, does, does reading the books have that effect on you with with sisters? After reading the Calf book uh, about the Ultramarines, I got like, I had all these uh, all this like sprue from like starter boxes from eighth and ninth, and I was like, I just bought a bunch of like Ultramarines like three D printed symbols, put on the knees and the shoulders, <laughs> and I had like horsehair helmets and all that stuff. They're still in a box. Still not even glued <laughs> right, on, right. but like I got real hype about it for a bit. And yeah, maybe I'll get back to there one day. All right, so where are sisters at now? Then how are we looking? How are you feeling about it? So right now, sisters are competitively in a good spot. Meaning they're not like busted S tier and everyone hates them. They have like a fifty three, fifty four percent win rate, which is within the 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 newly defined like target of like 45 to 55 the games workshop has publicly crowd about recently so we're just fine there um we have some top placings for sure we had two sisters players make the shadow round at lgt i just barely missed it by three points game five so like sisters compete one of them uh when i think got out of the shadow round and got pretty deep into the tournament so they they get top placings but they're not like busted in any way. Right. Um, so if you want to play sisters and play them well, you will be rewarded, which is a great place to be. Uh, you know, if you're Crimson Fist, I'm sorry, you're never going to make top eight at a big event. Just too bad. But like <laughs> sisters can. The downside is right now, it's there's like one list at the moment. Right. I did a whole episode on the list, and it was like the first 1,600 points were exactly this, and here's why. And the last 400 points is where you can flex it and go in one way or another. Right. Uh, which is not like that exciting. There are a few players who are doing crazy things, like there's a nine Paragons Warsuit list floating around, which exists. Um, one player's playing it really, really well in Singapore, but like almost <laughs> everyone else is doing the same thing, but, uh, which is a little sad. I feel like that's the same in every faction, almost every faction, is that there's the list that, because of the interwebs, perhaps the list that people settle on and you go, okay, this is... And, yeah. and it's got to be super similar. And then every now and then you get some outlier, like super good player, who will take space rules and go, you know what, I'm just running dreads, all dreads, that's it. And they go nuts yeah. on it. 
And then a few other people try and copy it, and they just say, okay, this isn't back to the 1,600 points. Um, yeah. And, you know, Space Marines, every, every list has that very similar problem, and the internet hasn't helped. But the other thing for yeah. sisters must be that because it's not busted, all those top players, like top, top, you know, the guys that swing from faction to faction as they get amazing. Yeah. And I'm not looking at Manny Chima specifically, but that kind of guy. <laughs> Boy, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. God, I hope he's listening. Um, <laughs> when they get out of a faction, the fact that sisters are still at 53, 54% without any of those guys, that means they must be in a pretty good spot for guys like you who are kind of, without being disrespectful, I want to say that next tier down kind of player. Oh, I'm 100% next year. I can feel it when I'm playing against like a, you know, a consistent 5-0 and o player. I, I, I can feel that. That's not complicated to know how that's a different kind of a game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when you see that kind of win rate, uh, there are plenty of people who struggle to do better than two and three with them or maybe pull the three and two because it's it's just like not an easy faction to play and it punishes you really hard when you lose. But yeah, right. if you know what you're doing, like you can four and one consistently with an event. Like I think player skill said you can consistently four one unless you have really bad pairings like any UK super major. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you play your heart out. Yeah. Which and is nice. it is a complicated faction though, right? Like for a person that's not dedicated thinking about it all the time, you kind of go... Yeah. It looks like an army that could be fragile, but it trades super well. It it feels like a faction that will you you are going to have to dedicate some time to it. I guess I'm asking if you're a new player wanting to get into Sisters, don't expect to be great at it straight away. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I mean, like new players will will uh, do things like try to control space by putting units in the places they think they need to control, like on the objective, for example. Sisters hate that. I control space by being very far away and guaranteeing long repentance charges, right? So you just have to like think a little more defensively, a little right. more about like space and pressure and control rather than more like go out, shoot guy, you know, be be somewhere in the middle of table. It's just like that's a style that doesn't really work. I feel like that's any combat army. Not that I'm a high level I'm I'm nowhere near the level you play at, but the it feels like, you know, you kind of have to get used to the counterpunch. That's where you're you're really yeah. sitting is, is counterpunching those guys that want to come at you. And, and what's really interesting is that's like the baseline. Like that'll win you more games than you will lose if you just play conservative, probably more conservative than most people think. If you play really conservative, that's fine. I like to joke round one, you never actually play Warhammer, right? You just like hide from one wall to hide behind another wall yeah, just yeah. to set up. But the, the interesting games are the ones where you can't do that and you actually have to go pedal to the metal. And like all the book which you're told is correct sister's play is actually wrong yeah. in a certain matchup on a certain table. And knowing when to flip the script is really also important. Like, you're not going to get to 5-0 and o without one of those games being like, no, I got to play differently today. And so yeah. that's kind of cool to have to know that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, so, uh, like, if they were to take it all away, like I say if, when 10th comes out or all the books are rewritten or whatever, yeah. What do you see, or what would you like to happen with Sisters? I guess we can't say what do you see happening because who knows what uh, James is thinking, but what do, you, what do you want to happen? I I mean, I think I want the same thing most people want for a faction that they play predominantly, which is more variety, like more viable variety. Right. Um, at the moment, the way the game is played, if, if Repentia are good because the meta like allows Repentia to be good, Bloody Rose is going to be the only choice. It's not really a conversation topic. But if Repentia are bad, 
like maybe you have to open up other orders to like solve certain problems. Like during the Talstotis meta, I was running 30 sections as Valor's Heart, the ladies with the halberds and the shield, because that was like my, you know, show me where they touched you, horrible meta response <laughs> uh, to that moment. But like, uh, what I'd like to see is maybe a bit of better power distribution where like yeah. I could take a combat unit not as Bloody Rose and still feel like it was a good choice. And yeah. then it, I feel like it would open up more builds. So like that's what I would like. I'd like a power balance between the sub factions so more playstyles open up and I could like build an army more suited to me that doesn't have to be punchy from behind a wall no matter what. So a similar question, but around the other way then while we're talking, we'll stay on sisters for a little bit, but <clears throat> and then we'll move on, I promise. But same question the other way around. Uh, is, is there something that you just love so much about the way they play right now that you would like to keep it, like the Miracle Dice or in moving into 10th when they change everything? Is there one thing you'd yeah. say, just please let us have that? First off, of all the people in the world, you don't have to apologize for me for spending two lime talking about sisters. <laughs> I've, 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 I'm so far testing the limits of that. Uh, but uh, if they keep anything, I'd want to keep Miracle Dice. It's just such a cool faction mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it represents like a, a faithful sister just being like, "No, I'm going to do this because the Emperor wills it of me." Like it's just such a cool thing. Yeah. And then uh, it's a combination of how much grief it can cause your opponent, and also how hard it is to play Miracle Dice properly. That I just really, really enjoy. Um, yeah, it definitely. So yeah, it's it's really one of those fun. playing against it. It is. It sucks. It's horrible. It's like so. I can't go there because you can guarantee the charge, and I can't do that because you can guarantee wounding and doing mortals. And it's just you know, it's tough to play against. But then it can go against you as well. <laughs> I'm only, I'm only rolling ones and twos for miracle dice, which obviously won't happen very often. But, but there must have been those games for you that you can it go. Does. <laughs> yep. You play enough games, it, and that's what happens. In round five of LGT, I was going into Dick Vanderharsh. He's one of the best Necron players in the world, plays for Team Netherlands. Uh, and there was a moment where I had like some Zephyr behind a wall that tactically needed to make a nine-inch charge to get up the board far enough to be, kill the unit they need to kill and stay behind cover. Right. And if they went less than that, they would just get <clears throat> picked up immediately. In three rounds... I could not put together a nine with two miracle dice. It only happened round four. Wow. And it was just so, wow. so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it's come on, man. But like, that's what happens. It's a dice game. Yeah, right? yeah, it's going yeah, yeah. to go that way. Yeah. God, I had, I was playing a, a game with a friend a couple of days ago. I wanted to try a Knight Valiant again. I'm tangenting, but I do this. I wanted to try a Knight Valiant in a list. And I had this like quite cool competitive list and a Knight Valiant that I thought against him. It'll live, and it's got all this shooting if it can get close enough, right? Yeah. And so he's playing Chaos, and I get out, and it's perfectly. Turn three, I'm like, cool, I have lived, and I'm full wounds, and I walk to the middle of the board. Everything's within 18 inches, and I've given it an extra six, in six inches of range. And I yeah. unload into a Demon Prince, a unit of marines and abaddon i just need to do three wounds to abaddon so yeah split fire unload and do not one single wound to anything like nothing i've got a flamer that yep. does 3d6 strength 7 minus 2 two damage shots not a single wound to anything and then That's he charges impressive. me and kills me in return okay cool well that was a good That's 600 impressive. points anyway so dice happen and you get that i understand i do you play team tournaments? Uh, absolutely. So my greatest privilege in what I'll call my professional 40K career 
uh, you can't see me, but I air quoted the heck out of that when <laughs> I said those words. Uh, is I so I lived in Iceland for two years from 2070 to 2019. And when WTC came back online, they actually asked me to serve as the team coach because uh, I wanted to like help them figure out pairings and matchups and like get the team in a good shape. I knew a bunch of them because the competitive team was only being start like bootstrapped while I was there. Right. So I was like comparatively really good because I was like pretty good at the time and they were all quite new. So I was like stomping noobs. <laughs> they got way better and and I think don't think figured out how much better they got than me. Right. But they asked me to play play as coach and I said absolutely. Like I knew those guys. They were friends. And then 3 days before list submission someone dropped so I got asked to play instead. So I got to play for Team Ison at WTC this past wow. year. Wow. So cool. So cool. Yeah. Um, just a phenomenal experience. So I teams are where it's at. Like I almost think of singles play as just reps to get in for like next year. Like Right. So do you have a team everything. Do you have a team in the UK outside of being a national Icelandic representative? Um do you have a team in the UK that you work with? Uh, I don't have like a formal team. I belong to the Oxford Gaming Club, which is like my local club. And we we threw together five people to play the ITT, the International Team Tournament, which is a UK-based event. But like not like a hardcore team. It's more opportunistic. Like we want to go do this because it'll be fun. Does the Oxford Gaming Club, are you required when you go to wear a jacket? And uh, in my mind, you have a little like a soft cap with a, a logo uh, on the top that involves rowboats and paddles or something. I don't know. It's it's called a it's called a blazer, Steve. You're showing your you're showing your lack of education. Very embarrassing in this public setting. I'm so colonial. You're right. It is a blazer. God, my son is yeah. getting one next year for his high school, so I should know. But um, so you, you you must wear a blazer to the Oxford Gaming Club. And do you do you play terribly terribly often? Uh, every Monday. Right. I have like this standing agreement with my wife that Monday is is like Warhammer night, and I go do it. So. In practice, most Mondays, but that's like the standard thing. And sometimes I'm playing against like, uh, like a casual member of the club, and that's fine. And I'll always kind of like make sure it's a good game and it's a fun game, no matter what I'm playing. But there are some like very talented players, like the best Chaos Knights player in the world is at my club, and he's very very talented, and like a bunch of four and one level players. So right. I do get like good reps in from time to time, which is which is fun. Who's the best Chaos Knights player in the world? His name is Ben Hampshire. And he's just been on a tear, like top fouring, like UK super majors with his Chaos Knights list. Wow. He's just really good. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love seeing people who, it's like there's a guy named Sid who's a, an Imperial Knights player in the UK, Sid Sidhu. <laughs> he's got this list of just all little baby knights. And he's been yep. likewise on a tee. He's the number one player in the world with knights, lives in the UK, goes crazy at tournaments, loves it. I love it when you see a person like that who could just kind of take something a bit different and goes bonkers with it, you know? Um, you brought up your wife. You have the standing agreement. Is the family understanding of your obsession with your Monday nights, but also your podcast <laughs> and all of the rest of the time that goes into 40K, no doubt? Uh, I am a natural high-energy person. Like, there's always going to be something on my mind. And long ago, my partner realized that if she doesn't, help encourage me to do something like productive, like a show or like prep for an event, I'm just going to be insufferable. Right. And so she, this is like the energy dump, which we all know that I need for the health of my marriage. So it is like a very good investment for that purpose. That's, so, that is fantastic. I love that. I love that you're, uh, you know, encouraged to, to do your thing. That's fan. That's, I just love that. I think you hear too many, too often you hear people talking about, 
you know, complaining about this or that or needing permission or not being able to do this thing. And it's like, you know, I like to think of it as I'm not getting permission, but it's reasonable in a marriage to say to someone, hey, listen, I've got this thing and uh, I'd really like to do it. And how's that going to work out with the rest of the family? You know, the other thing is like when we moved here, we moved here because my wife uh, got a, a offer to do a Ph.D. at Oxford. So, like, of course, we pick up and move from the U.S. to the U.K. to go do that, of course. Uh, but when we came, she got pre-built community, right? She was going to a PhD program. There were tons of people in the same college in her in the same program as her. So right, it was super right. easy to pick up friends. I didn't have that. I got my family, but they're thrown all over the country. So I had to like find and build my own community. It wasn't given to me. And 40K was the vehicle by which I found it. Right. Uh, like I found the local club. I started going to the big events here, which found a bigger community. I mean, I go to one of these events with 300 players. I probably know 40 of them by now yeah. by, by name. And it's, hey, good to see you again. And, you know, there's the local club. So it has been a real vector for, like, you know, humans socializing in my life. Right. Let's talk about the podcast because uh, before we started recording, you were telling me about you, the way you got it set up. First of all, why the podcast? Why did you decide one day, hey, I love this and I want to talk about it to uh, the many, many thousands of people who will be listening. Uh, cool. So I'll give you a short story here. Uh, it's it's LVO 2020. So it's January 2020, two months before the end of the world. And I, I'm i a member, a very active member of this online community around the Best in Faction podcast. So I know like a bunch of people digitally, but I don't really know them in person. I get to meet a bunch of them in person. And on the Saturday night, I, I meet up with a friend, Tyler Agee, who's a paragon of the Pacific Northwest community. And he's like, hey, come out with me. We're going to the Caesars buffet, like the fancy all-you-can-eat expensive buffet. I'm like, great, great, let's do it. Let's go. And so he and I go there and we're like, yeah, we'll probably see some people along the way, right? A lot of people are going there. Fine. So we sit down at this table. And I no kidding. As I sit down at this table, other people start to fill it up who know Tyler. And I start to realize I recognize a lot of the voices of the people filling up this table. And at this table, when it's all said and done, we've got Adam Camilleri who showed up. We've got Peter the Falcon, Val Heffelfinger. This is the height of their um, of their 40K Stat Center powers when it was all the rave. We've got uh, Paul Murphy sits down at the table. And like, <laughs> wow. for whatever reason, it becomes like, you know, 40K celebrity table plus Mitch, who was like a completely unknown 3-3 <laughs> scrub also at LVO. And like, you know, uh, Paul Murphy's like, hi, my name's Paul. Like, nice to meet you. And I'm like, I should go, oh, hi, I'm Mitch. But I'm thinking, yes, I knew your name before you said it. Like, I had like this <laughs> moment of like, oh, my God, they're all here. What am I doing? And they started talking about podcasting and finding people to edit, like all this thing. And I go back home to the room afterwards. And my my wife and the uh, and, and kids had come or because like, why not? Like, they were going to spend yeah, yeah. a weekend in Vegas. I had the hotel already. <laughs> and my wife was like, you know, like, they're not special, right? You know, they're just like idiots with microphones who you've heard before. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. I I too could be an idiot with a microphone. And right. so that actually was was the driver, was my wife being like, you could just go do this. Like, don't be so impressed. And then COVID hit. I had nothing else to do because everything was locked down. So I started it like in early COVID because that was like the two drivers. Right. Um, and obviously, yeah, uh, obviously, your your co-host is a longtime friend and someone that you knew well in the United States, and you guys decided to do this together. Ah, That's this how... is my favorite thing. So 
Rob Helton and I were were like both hyperactive personalities on the Best in Faction Discord, like sisters, like channel, right? But like a bunch of other people. And I announced like, I'm going to do this show. It's going to be called the, it's going to be called Sister Act, which was suggested to me by uh, like someone in the Discord. Um, I believe it's actually Mitch Pelham, one of the co-hosts suggested the name. Right. So like, I had a name. What else do I need? Oh, I need a co-host. I was like, anyone want to do this with me? And Rob was like, yeah, that sounds fun. So we have this call. I'd never met the guy in person. I didn't know what he looked like. Didn't know anything about his person. I didn't know what he sounded like. We'd only ever like text chatted before. So we have this phone call where we're like meeting each other and being friendly, but also judging each other deeply to see if we be good <laughs> co-hosts or not. And yeah. the judging went well. And yeah. he's like, yeah, I love sisters. You love sisters. I'm really great at hobby. I'm kind of learning. You're a pro. Like, you're like, you've been playing all the time. This is a great match. Great, great. I only found this out. So to this day, I've never met Rob Helton in person. It took an entire year before I knew what he looked like because the casting software used didn't do video for a while. And then when it did, I was like, oh my God, it's you. And here's my favorite bit of all this. At the time Rob said, I love sisters, you love sisters. What he left out was that he had only just bought the 2019 starter box and he hadn't even assembled all the minis yet. So, so he, he wow. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. Okay. And I, we're going back to what we said at the start of this. You do this test when people come on the show of like, you know, testing their loyalty. So Yeah, I never tested Rob. Rob would have failed that test. Yep. <laughs> so good. But you know what? I'm glad I never did because I think the heart of the show is that we have really good banter and everything else is yeah. kind of, like that's why people come back. They come because they're promised quality sisters content, but they come back for the like that part of it. Yeah. And, you know, it just happened to be uh, magic that we just, you know, lucked into. So. Yeah, you guys are funny. You, you, listening to the podcast, you assume that you have known each other for years and that you, you're you just friends. Uh, yeah. it's. I mean, at this point, we have. At this point, well, that right, is true. Right, so, yeah. right. Uh, do, do you find, um, when you first set it up and you first said to people, I'm going to do a sister's podcast, did anyone say to you at that point, wait, you're going to run out of ideas if it's just sisters? Did you did you oh, feel yeah. like it might be too limiting? I mean, I didn't care because I was just rolling <laughs> the dice. Like, I'd never podcasted before. I had no goal. I wasn't like, I'm going to build an empire and this will be my new job. And right? I was like, I'm going to go have some fun and see what's up. So I didn't really care what anyone thought. Uh, I was told episode 10 was an interview with Jack Harpster before he was on Art of War. Like, he was like the big name that he is now. And he just came on. He had like one uh a uh, TTS tournament that Art of War had thrown, but he was just like a Patreon like I was. And so I brought him on and he, and before the show he was like, what are you guys going to do when you're running a content? I'm like, I don't know, we'll figure it out. And this yeah. always sit in my memories, him being like, you're a bunch of idiots, this is doomed to fail. And that was like, you know, 30 episodes ago. So yeah, yeah. Listen, I don't, I don't know if I agree though. And this, I feel like there's unlimited content in Warhammer and all you're doing is looking at all of that through a sister's lens. So you can do whatever yep. you want through a sister's lens. You'll be fine. There's heaps, isn't there? There's 30 factions. Unlimited divided by 30 is still unlimited. That's just math, man. <laughs> That's right. Do you have a degree in math or something? Because we keep coming back to the yeah computer science. Sure. My brain is wired a certain way. I can't control it. I, I learned to stop apologizing for it a long time ago. Do you have uh, Do you have other podcasts that you listen to that are inspiration for what you do? Or did you have, when you were going into this, did you kind of think, we want to do it and sound like that or be like those guys? That's why I had two inspirations for this. One was, um, 
what was the I'm I'm forget the name of the podcast. I'm so sorry. Uh it's it's a British show. Um Peter the Falcon's on it now, but he wasn't originally Oh, the Honest Wargamer. Honest Wargamer. They did an episode when they were fairly early on. I don't know why I forgot that. Apologies, listeners, for hearing me think out loud. Uh, they did an episode a while back ago where they spent an entire episode talking about the Necron Warrior. And they literally, for two hours, talked about the Necron Warrior. And I couldn't get enough. I was like, finally, someone giving an appropriate amount of depth on what is actually a very complicated thing to think through. Like, how you could arm it, how you could play it, what kind of list archetypes you build around it, how you would support it. Like, all of it took two hours. And I was like, that's proof that there is no limit to yeah. how much you want to zoom in on something. So I have done an episode on Zephyrim. I have done a three-part series on the Mortifier. Like, <laughs> you can do this and it's still be good content. Peak Sister Act, those three episodes. Uh, I love that so much. Uh, that's good. And, and what I knew was the best players in the world had all this in their heads. Like, they're playing better than everybody. They know more than everybody. It's there but they never get a chance to talk about it because you come on a show and if you talk about the new balance data slide, you have to cover the impact to the whole game. It's an impossibly large thing to talk about, so nothing gets any level of real treatment. And they'll say things like, oh, well, if you're building like a pressure list with a heavy focus on defense, then you need to do this, that, the other thing. But that's too abstract. Like that's, that's not enough knowledge to help people get better at the game. So my right. thinking was, if I could get them to speak for many hours at a time, on something much more micro, it might actually be like really interesting. Uh, yeah, that was it. The yeah. show's predicated on guests. We almost always have a guest. Um, right. That's like a core part of the experience. And you still enjoy it? Like, can you see yourself keeping on doing this for a little while? Oh yeah, absolutely. We had we had an unfortunate like couple months pause this past summer because Rob and my lives just simultaneously exploded, which is unfortunate. But no, I. I Right now, at this moment, I have three shows that I want to record with three different people, and it's just a question of, like, a matter of time. Right. Uh, and I'm going to probably lose one because I'm just going to roll forward to the next batch of ideas before I finish out this one. So I'm never lacking for ideas. Yeah, that's time. awesome. That's awesome. So we've got more Sister Act to look forward to. And uh, what about event-wise? What's the next thing for you? Where are you, where are you headed next? Uh, as part of my healthy relationship uh, with my my wife um we have an agreement that i get to go to a super major every other month which is like pretty great actually like six of them in a year it's, six weekends away it's like great i'd uh, really love it if your wife could could email my wife about about <laughs> that arrangement and the finer finer workings of it because that would be awesome for me also you are actively podcasting my friend i feel like you've already done pretty good <laughs> the table. Done, done okay uh, so the next one for me is Leicester. Basically, I try to get I try to get like a UK super every two months. The cool thing about the UK, if you don't live here, is there's this organization called the UK Tournament Circuit, the UKTC. It's run by this guy named Zach, who's incredible. And every month they take what presumably is a couple of trucks and they drive them to a convention center somewhere else in the UK, lay out the same terrain, the same mats, the same tables. They have like a different event all over the country. So if you want, you can play a 300 plus player event almost every month of the calendar year. Yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing. So I just get every other one. Yeah, every other one. Zach has, uh, that's been a big thing over the last, well, since the end of COVID, uh, I say the end. Yeah. That's way too, you know what I mean, since we kind of got back yeah. to relative normality. Uh, yeah, so this has been a big push and now, and, and more and more. And now I see there's a teams tournament coming up as well. So there's, there's more and more events getting thrown into that calendar by Zach and his team. It's great. It's great for you guys. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And the events are really well run, mm. you know, 
it's it's the country's not big either. So even though one event might be up north in Manchester, Manchester is in the north of England or down south, like more like where London is, the really competitive players are they're driving wherever because it's only a couple hour drive anyway. So it is like quite a fairly tight knit community once you get into it. Right. There was a fun phase where this one person was responsible for half of my losses on the UKTC circuit. I had lost to him three times <laughs> in three events consecutively. So you do hit the same people over yeah. and over again at a certain yeah. point. And then when you get paired against him again, you're like, so when you get, if you are, what type of guy are you? When you get paired against him again, do you think, here's my opportunity to beat this guy? Or do you think, oh crap, here we go again? I can only ever be fired up before a game of Warhammer. There is no alternative. Like, let's go. This is the time. I'm going to tear you to shreds. I figured it out. I, you know, I'm a better player than I was. Let's do it. Of course, when I went dropped to 0 3 in my record, I was like, man, that was such a fun game. Like, I love playing it. She's like, yep, I'll play you anytime. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> do you tilt? You <laughs> do you tilt? Are you a tilter in the end game? Uh, no. It's very hard to tilt me. Um, I just, I think it might be my math brain, but like my math brain understands that probability does not follow what humans think probability should be. And like the other, the other, so that's part of it. Like I can, I can kind of internalize, okay, I rolled four out of my 24, four plus saves. Like that's, it is within the realm of possibility. I roll a lot of dice a lot of the time. It's going to happen. But the other thing, which I think is even more important uh, is 40K is a social contract, right? It's it's like a slow speed date. You're going to meet someone for three hours. You have this super weird thing in common, and you should walk out friends if you do it properly, right? right? How can you spend three hours with a fellow nerd in the same, you know, on the same nerd axis as you and not like them at the end? Um, and so to me, tilting actually is an act of unkindness because the opponent didn't choose to high roll you, right? They didn't force you to low roll your dice. So when you tilt, you give them a bad play experience for things that are out of their control. And I think that is just fundamentally like bad behavior. And right. that is always very top of mind for me. So yeah, yeah. I just joke about it instead, revel yeah. in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Well, like you said, just make it fun, make it fun for everybody and just have fun with it because that's all it can be. You can't control the dice rolls. And some people try though. You see them like rolling a certain way, back of the hand rolls or rubbing the dice together or turning all the heads to sixes before they roll or whatever. People try, but. The harder thing is ensuring your opponent has a good play experience when they're getting bad dice or when they're like clearly going to lose the game because you've outplayed them or because of the way that the game worked out. Then I think it's even more incumbent on you because like it's hard to have a good time when you're losing, right? So there's even more responsibility to like cheer when your your vol gets killed in combat by a free throw, right? Like yeah. find a way to get on their side. I think it's really important. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I'm great at that. I'm fantastic at winning. <laughs> just doesn't <laughs> just doesn't happen very often. Hey, listen, man, uh, it's been so good to catch up with you. Thank you for being guest number one on Champions of 40K. You're a champion of a man, not just the international face of battle systems. Stop. Stop. <laughs> How did I do? How did I do, Steve? Is this, is the show canned? You're like, you know what? This isn't gonna work. <laughs> is, Never mind. Well, Never there was, meet your heroes. Now. There was there was zero expectation, and you rose to it. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that all the way to the back. <laughs> all right. Yep. Thank you, mate. It's been lovely to see you, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again. Thank you, Steve. Great to talk again. A big thank you to Mitch Beard. Make sure you go check out the Sister Act podcast. Mitch and Rob do such a good job. Also, thanks to Frontline Gaming for having me. And hey, if you want to buy stuff from Frontline, if you do it through the link in this episode or the link at 
stevejoel40k.com. Man, that would help me a lot too. Just keep on podcasting, help with gear and stuff. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Champions of 40K.